Bibles, please, and uh, open them to the Gospel of John. And before I read this, um, I would just encourage you to keep your Bibles open to that as the worship team sings for us, because we'll go to that passage first uh, in the message. John chapter 17. If you have a red-letter Bible, you'll notice that it's all in red. Jesus is speaking. So I would guess we should pay attention, right? And uh, this is happening the night that he was betrayed. Uh, He's about to be arrested, and uh, he is praying for his disciples, these men that he has spent three years with and uh, spoken truth into. So his prayer for his disciples starting in verse 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Thank you. Did you leave your Bibles open? Okay, make sure they're still open to John 17. Another question is whether or not you happen to see this post on Facebook. It says, you should be as excited about church as about the Super Bowl. Then it goes on to say, so when your pastor makes a point this Sunday, pour Gatorade over his head. (laughs) I don't think that the message today is going to be Super Bowl winning quality, all right? So put your Gatorade away. Um, I do think, though, that this message is going to speak to you because we're going to be looking at Scripture And God will be speaking to us. So be ready for that. No Gatorade. 
but uh, God's going to speak. And what he's going to speak about is our vision as a church. We've been looking at that the last few weeks. We have a vision statement that says, transformed lives, fully devoted followers of Christ. And we've been talking about what that means. It's our desire for us as a church. It's our desire individually, I hope. Because if it's not happening individually, it's not going to happen corporately as a church. And so what we've been doing specifically is talking about where we can go to measure how we're doing with that vision. How do we measure if we are being transformed and changed into being more devoted followers of Christ, becoming more like Christ? Because the more devoted you are to him, the more like him you most likely are becoming. So our our question has been, where do we look? What could be the measurement for that? And we've chosen relationships. Because in relationships, that's really where our devotion to Christ or our becoming more like Jesus show themselves. So if we look at these relationships, we might get an idea how we're doing in our devotion to Christ and becoming more like Him. So we've looked at uh, some relationships already. We looked at our relationship with God Himself. How's that doing? Is, is it showing that we are growing in devotion to Christ and uh, becoming more like Him? We've talked about our relationship with God's Word. How are we doing there? Uh, does it show anything about our devotion to Christ, our becoming more like Him? We talked about our relationship with God's people, fellow believers. That's a good measurement, by the way. How are we doing in our relationships with each other? What do we see in these relationships that will give us an idea of how our devotion to Christ is going? And whether or not we're becoming more like Jesus. Last week we talked about our relationship with family. Another wonderful place to look to see how we're doing in our devotion to Christ and growing to be more like Him. Because the answer to that question really comes out in the family uh, setting. Whether it's our marriage, whether it's uh, parent-child relationships, uh, whether it's um, just the relationships between the children, the siblings. Today we're going to look at two more relationships that we can... Uh, go to to measure how we're doing in our devotion to Christ and becoming more and more like Him. And the relationships are these two. Our relationship with the world. And we'll talk about what that means, what the world means. And then our relationship with the lost. Um, The people who live in this world and don't know Jesus. If we look at our relationships with lost people and with the world, we can get an idea how we're doing in our devotion to Christ and becoming more like Him. So that's, that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let, let's pray first. Our Father, uh, we have set this desire before us as a church, this vision that, uh, that we would be 
changing and growing. And as time goes on, becoming more and more devoted to you and becoming more and more like Jesus. Father, uh, we'll know how that's going by looking at these different relationships. And show us again today uh, how a devoted life to Christ should look like when we relate to the world and what it should look like when we relate to the people in this world who are lost and need you. Father, I pray that there would be some good, humble, uh, serious examination on each of our parts. Uh, Show us what we need to see about ourselves. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to talk about the world first, and it becomes really important uh, for me to preface this with explaining what world means. All right. Otherwise, we could get kind of confused. In the passage that I read for you earlier, John 17, you may have noticed, if you were paying attention, that the word world appears quite often in that passage. In fact, I counted in my Bible 12 times that Jesus uses the word world uh, in this prayer when he's praying for his disciples. So that was a key part of that passage. It must be important to be repeated that much. Um, when you come to the word world in your Bibles, it's, it's translated from the Greek term cosmos. And we're kind of familiar with that. You know, we talk about the cosmos um, up there. and um, That's the word in the Greek for world. So anytime you see world in the New Testament, it's coming from that Greek term, cosmos. The thing that makes it difficult for us is that the same word, cosmos, refers to different distinct parts of the world. Okay. Uh, sometimes the word world in Scripture refers to a place, uh, the place where we live, the world, the, the planet, the earth. And you need to look at the context of that verse to determine which idea of world is being used, you know. Because in some places, it's simply referring to this place, the world that we live. Other times, when you read the word world, in the context, it's not referring to the place, this planet, the earth. It's referring to people, the people who live in that place. And you'll figure that out by looking at the context and realize you know, this isn't talking about, you know, the creation and all that's around us, this place. It's talking about people. And sometimes that is what world means. It's referring to the people who live in this place. And then a third meaning for cosmos, for world, refers to a system, could be the word. It's, it's, it's a system of thinking. It's, it's uh, philosophies and beliefs and uh, lifestyles and um, all that that are part of a system that is in opposition to God and His truth. 
that um, totally contrary to God. And, and I think you know what I'm referring to, right? There, there's a system here. There's a way of thinking. In fact, it's spiritual. But it's out there. And it, it's thinking and philosophy and belief and uh, way of living is totally opposite of God. And sometimes in the Bible, that is referred to as the world. It's this system. And uh, that's what I want us to think about, our relationship with that system. Uh, for today, not our relationship with the environment and uh, the place and not the people. Although when we get to talking about our relationship with the lost, we will deal with people. But for the first part of this message, we're going to talk about that system, the world, okay? Uh, the system that's contrary to God. And it's all around us. We can't get away from it. It's just out there, all around us. So, In John 17, this passage we read, you can actually follow this knowing what I just said and you can find out that Jesus uses world to refer to all three of those in different parts of this. And uh, our purpose isn't to kind of work through this and do that. But just know that Jesus is using the term cosmos uh, to talk about the world. And somewhere in here, he's talking about the place. Um, he's going to leave the place. But his disciples have to stay here. And another part here, when he talks about world, it's just logically he's talking about the people who live in this world. But also in this passage, by world he means the system. The system that's contrary to God. So all three are in here. I encourage you to read the passage again, um, either during the pregame or halftime. And with the idea of different meanings for world, see if you can, by the context, pick out which time he's referring to the people, the place, or that system. Okay? So we're not going to take the time for that. In, um, in John 17, though, he does say that his followers are in the world. And uh, even though he's leaving the world, they're staying and he says that his followers are in the world. So that could mean the place that he's leaving, but they stay. But then he says, but they're not of the world. And I think there the meaning goes more beyond the place to the system. You know, they're in the world, the place, but they're not of the world. My people aren't of the world, they don't belong to that system. They're in the world, but not of it. Okay, so he talks about that. Um, in 1 John 5, and you can follow along here on, on the sheet because we're not going to look at all of them. 1 John 5, we're told that the world, the system, is under the control of the evil one. Satan. He's the ruler of this world. And I would suggest world there means this system that's all around us, that Satan is the ruler of this system that's in opposition to God. 
contrary to him. In Ephesians 2, first two verses, Paul reminds the Christians that they used to follow the ways of the world before they were saved by grace through faith. They followed the ways of this world. They lived in that system. They followed that system, that way of thinking, that lifestyle, those beliefs that were contrary to God. They used to follow the world. In Galatians 6, Paul makes an interesting statement. He says, because of salvation, because I now know Jesus, because of the cross of Jesus and what he did for me, the world has been crucified to me. And I have been crucified to the world. What does he mean? That when Jesus died on the cross, the world became dead to me. I no longer, through salvation, belong to it, that system. I am separate from it. It was crucified to me, dead. And I was crucified to it. I don't belong to it anymore. I'm separated from it. I'm dead to the world and following it, that, that system, contrary to God. Interesting concept. Then in James chapter 1, James says that the world has the ability to pollute God's people. He uses the word pollute, contaminate, influence in a negative way. Those of you who are Christians... Have you noticed that the world, this system, this way of thinking, these philosophies that are opposed to God still influence you sometimes? That you sense there's a danger that I could get caught up in it or something about it and, and it could influence me in a negative way? If I ask for a show of hands, probably most of you Christians would raise your hand. You've experienced that. Okay? And James warns about that. He says, don't let the world pollute you. Now, I want you to turn with me to James, because the next two passages, I want to spend a little extra time uh, looking at. James chapter 4. <clears throat> James chapter 4. So have your Bibles open to that, and I'm going to read something for you. A few years ago, a young man and woman were married. For the first years, their love was strong, and the marriage was growing and growing and growing. But then the wife met a man at work who was very interesting. And she enjoyed having conversations with him. Time spent in those conversations increased. And eventually, flirting became more and more a part of those times together. And they became good friends over time. And the woman enjoyed the companionship so much that an emotional attachment developed. She was spending less time with her husband and more with the other man. She found herself not even enjoying the times when she and her husband were together. 
Sadly, the wife found her love for her husband growing cold as her love for the man at work grew stronger. What was happening? Another person, another relationship was coming between the husband and the wife. Now, we'll come back to that story a little later. But with that in mind, I want us to look at James 4, and then we'll look at 1 John chapter 2. James 4, verses 4 and 5. Uh, James is writing to Jewish Christians who have been scattered all over the place. And here's what he says in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 4. You adulterous people. Well, this this is serious right away, isn't it? He's calling them adulterous. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? So let's just think about that passage. It's serious. I mean, James is getting right to the point. He's calling these Christians adulterous. And because they're Jewish people, Jewish Christians, they would get what he's saying as he moves on from that. Because if they're familiar with the Old Testament Scriptures, they know that often God would refer to his relationship with his people as a marriage, right? As you read through the Old Testament, there are times when when he will talk to his people Israel as though he's the husband and they're the wife, that they have that kind of covenant relationship. But then he would get really upset and jealous because they would begin to show interest in uh, some of the pagan nations around them. Or they would even get involved in some of those pagan nations' uh, worship, that type of thing. And he, in the Old Testament, called that unfaithfulness. He called it adultery. When his people would start getting interested in and embracing the things of these other nations. So... When James writes this to Christian Jewish people, they're going to get what he's referring to here. It's their relationship with God and how they are becoming unfaithful in that relationship. And in that spiritual sense, they are committing adultery. And then he says something interesting. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, first of all, we have to look at the context here as far as cosmos. That's the word here, world. I don't think he's referring to friendship with the place. I think in the context... He's not even referring to the people. Because in other scriptures, 
we don't find that it's wrong to befriend people in this world, right? Because when we talk later about our relationship with the lost, they're people, and we're to be around them, and we're to build relationships with them, and we're going to talk about that. So that leaves the system. And so don't get confused here. He's not saying it's wrong for you to be friends with people in the world. The friendship he's talking about, the unfaithfulness he's talking about, the adultery he's talking about is his people becoming friends with the system, the way of thinking, the philosophies, the beliefs, the lifestyle of this system around us that's opposed to God, that's contrary to him and his truth. I think that's what world means here. And what he's saying is, when you get too friendly with this system, when you start getting interested in this system around you, you start embracing some of the things about this system that is contrary to God. You're committing adultery. You're being unfaithful to God. You're acting like you're an enemy. The system is becoming more important to you than your relationship with God. And it looks like you're acting like an enemy of God. And then he reminds them, the God you have a relationship with is jealous. He's a jealous God. And you can find that teaching in a number of places in the Old Testament. He's a jealous God. Why? Because the Spirit He has put in you longs, desires for your devotion. So He says in verse 5, and you could look at it two ways, and it means the same. The Spirit He put in you, just your Spirit, He created you. He longs for your Spirit to be devoted to Him. And He gets jealous when you start moving toward the world, its system. But it also could mean His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that He's given to you, as somebody who belongs to you, desires that you be devoted. So either way works. Different translations say it either way. But you get the idea. James is saying, you acting like unfaithful spouses. You are committing adultery against God by your friendship with the world, the system, their ways of thinking, philosophies, lifestyle, that type of thing. And it's easy to do, isn't it? You know, something sounds really interesting. It looks really appealing. So you check into it. And then you start checking more because it's kind of getting your, uh, your interest more and more. And then pretty soon, it moves into friendship. And you're pretty soon spending more time with those things of the world than with God. And pretty soon, it's hard to even see that you are a devoted follower of Christ because you're almost avoiding him. It's like you've decided he's your enemy. And you enjoy spending time with 
this world system and going its way, then you even enjoy spending time with God. So that's kind of the idea, using that marriage picture um, to really challenge these Christians about being friends with this world system. And it's happening a lot today, isn't it? We have believers and churches that are grabbing on to the stuff of the world system. And they know it's contrary to God. I hope they know it's contrary to God and His teaching. 1 John chapter 2. Because you can move further beyond friendship. Okay? You flirt around with the world long enough that you move from being friends with the world to falling in love. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2. Starting in verse 15, John says to these believers, do not love... Now it's not friendship. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. So I think that would be the system. You know, the things of the world. Because he says, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. What I understand that to say is, you can't love the things of the world. You can't love that system and love God at the same time. If you start loving the world, that's not love for God. That's back to the unfaithfulness idea of James. You can't love God and the world at the same time and the things of this world. So he says that. And then in verse 16, he says, for everything in the world, and he lists three things in this system. The lust of the flesh, that old sin nature you have. There's stuff in this world, there are desires and lusts that are very appealing to our sin nature. Pleasures, uh, ways of life, ways of thinking that really grab onto our sinful nature and we get interested. And that interest and that flirting around and that friendship can move into love for that. So the lusts of the flesh. Also in the world is the lust of the eyes. You know that saying, feast your eyes on this. Watch out. Don't start feasting your eyes on the things of this world system. But we do. It's been said that the eyes are the gateway into our mind, into our desires, into our actions, into our way of thinking. There are times when you see something, and when you see it, you're opening the gateway for your mind, your desires to focus on that. You ever experienced that when you go to a boat show in Duluth? You ever experienced that when you go to Costco or, you know, some store? Um, You know, the lust of the eyes. I see it. I want it. I need it. 
the lusts of the eyes. It's a part of this world system. And then he says also, part of the world system is this pride of life. Pride of life. Self-centeredness. Selfishness. Um, wanting to impress people. Needing to get to a place where you can boast and brag about something and show you're better than others. The pride of life. And John is saying, don't love that system that's opposed to God. And don't love some of the things that are a part of it. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Don't fall in love with those with this world. And then he says this, which is interesting. Verse 17. Here's a reason not to fall in love with the world. The world and its desires pass away. Temporary. This world, this system even, it's temporary. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. We are, as Christians, eternal people. We're forever people, right? We're going to conquer the grave. We're going to live with Jesus forever. Why in the world would we want to fall in love with something that's passing away and will be gone eventually? It doesn't make sense. And that's what John is indicating here. Don't love the world. Don't love the things in the world. You can't love God and the things of this world at the same time. And remember, all that's going to be gone. But you're going to live on. So why would you want to fall in love with something temporary? And then, if you go to Romans chapter 12... Romans chapter 12, verse 2. This ties in what we've just looked at and our vision as a church. Brings them together. Romans 12, 2. Paul says to the Roman Christians, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now, it's pretty easy to determine which world he means there because the word pattern is there. So we're not talking about the place, not specifically the people, but the system. And he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't embrace it and become a part of it. Instead, what? Be transformed. Be changed. Be different. That's what your relationship with the world should be. Different. Not conforming to it, but being transformed and being different. Back to the story of the wife in this marriage relationship. Do you see how it becomes kind of an illustration or analogy of what Scripture says about the world and loving the world and being friends with the world. I mean, if you go back through it, okay, uh, 
This man and woman were married. They entered a union, a covenant. Just like when we become Christians, we enter a relationship, a union, a covenant with God, right? And then for the first years, their love was strong for each other, and and they kept growing in their marriage. And that happens in our relationship with the Lord. The relationship gets stronger and grows, and our love for God becomes greater. But then comes a time when something about this world piques our interest, just like this guy at work piqued the interest of his wife. And it's really interesting. It sounds like something to check out, you know? Maybe there's something to it. And pretty soon, more time is spent with these things of the world, checking them out. I'm just interested, you know. I just want to find out a little more. And the amount of time gets greater and greater, checking it out. Until pretty soon, you're spending more time in this world system than with God. In fact, you're flirting around with this world system. And it's getting to the point where you enjoy being involved there more than you enjoy being with God. It's kind of flipped, hasn't it? And then eventually, it moves from just friendship and interest to outright love. You fall in love with some of these things in the world. And you just jump right in. And what's happened is the world, its ways, its thinking, its philosophies, your relationship with that has now come between you and God. And your relationship with God is strained. And it looks almost like You don't belong to him. You aren't a Christian. You aren't a follower. It's starting to look like you're an enemy of God just like the world is. You see the the good analogy there? And James says, don't be friends with the world, the system. John says, don't fall in love with the world, with that system and the things in it. So the question is, what what does your relationship with the world look like these days? What does it look like? Does your relationship with the world reveal a real strong, growing devotion to Christ and becoming more like Him? Or has your relationship with the world come to the point where there is no growth happening in your devotion to God? And you're not becoming more like Jesus because the things of the world have become so important to you. You become friends with it, maybe even fallen in love with it. And the relationship with God isn't really important anymore. 
We've got to watch out. But we can look at our relationship with the world and really get a good idea of how we're doing in our devotion to Christ and our growth toward being more like Him. <clears throat> so that's an important thing for us to think about. Does your relationship with the world reveal a growing devotion to Christ and becoming more like Him? Does it or doesn't it? Another relationship we can look at that's a good measurement for how we're doing in our devotion to Christ and growing to be more like Him is our relationship with the lost. Now we're talking about the people, not the system that's called the world that's contrary to God. But now we're talking about the people in the world who don't know Him. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. He is not their Savior, Lord. They are separated from Him. The Bible calls them lost. They need Jesus. And now the question is, what's our relationship with them? Because our relationship with unbelievers, who are all around us, right? They're people like we are. We work with them. We live in the same community. They're our neighbors. What's our relationship with the lost, the people? like. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. <clears throat> Verse 10. And uh, don't, uh, don't blame anybody else but me if it says 11 on your uh, sheet. That was my error. Verse 10, um, Jesus has just spent some time with a worldly man named Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus has come to salvation. And yet those who should be rejoicing in that are accusing Jesus of doing something wrong, spending time with a tax collector, a lost person. But he says in verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Basically, he's saying, I came for these people. I came for the lost. I came to seek them, find them, and bring them to salvation. Jesus cared about the lost. He cared about their condition their lostness without salvation. And then if you go to John 3, which we're familiar with, <clears throat> John chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 16, For God so loved the world. Now again, context. Which meaning of cosmos must this be in the context? Well, I don't think it's God so loved the planet, the place, that he sent his one and only son. I don't think it means God, I know, it doesn't mean God so loved this world system that opposes him that he sent his one and only son. I think cosmos here points to the people. And he says, for God so loved the world. 
the people, the lost people, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, people, believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So there you have two meanings of world, I think. You have, God didn't send his son into this place to condemn the people, the lost people, but to save them. You see, Jesus loves the world. He loves the people, the lost people. He cares about them. It's why he came, to seek them and to bring them to salvation. So, if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to be devoted to him, and growing in that devotion, and growing to be more like him, doesn't it seem like we should care about the lost? Doesn't it seem like we should be concerned about their condition apart from God? Doesn't it make sense that if we're becoming more and more like Jesus and devoted to him, that it's going to affect our relationship with unbelievers, with the world? I mean, the Bible talks, we sang a little bit about it. The Bible talks about God's people being salt, being lights. Uh, Jesus said before he left to his followers, you will be my witnesses. I don't think he was referring to being witnesses to other followers. He was talking about the world, the people of the world, the lost. You will be my witnesses. In First Peter, he says, be ready to share with them. Be ready to give them an answer if they have questions. Be ready to say something. Speak the truth. Share about your faith. Share the gospel when they ask questions. That should be the relationship with the lost. Or in Colossians 4, you know, Paul says, when it comes to the outsiders, he's referring to the lost, the unbelievers. He says, be careful about your speech. Let it be seasoned with grace. And watch your behavior. Be wise in your behavior, in your relationships with the lost. And take every opportunity. That's how our relationship with the lost should be. How many of you, since uh, September, um, got in on the, one of the six studies called BLESS? Raise your hand. Those who got in on one of the six. They were in six communities. Okay, that's a good number. What did you think of it? It's just a practical book on how to build relationships, loving relationships, relationships where you're blessing unbelievers, getting to know them, praying intentionally for them, for their salvation, listening to them, building a relationship where it shows you care about them, you want to know them, you're willing to listen to them, even eating with them, like Jesus did with the lost, right? Because eating somehow really helps in a relationship. 
and uh, serving them, looking for ways to, as you get to know them and know their needs, to be willing to serve them. And then also looking for opportunities, praying for opportunities to share, to share your story, to share the gospel, to plant seeds of truth into their lives in the context of that relationship. How many who, who went through that study think that there was some change that took place in your heart and your relationship with unbelievers by talking about that? Raise your hand. If you think there was some change, some transformation, some growth. Okay, good. Good. So you think maybe it affected your relationship with unbelievers. That's good. It did mine. It really did. So I feel like this, this year I've grown in Christ-likeness. I'm, I'm closer to feeling about the lost and wanting to build relationships with them than I was back in, you know, when we started that. And so I thank God for that. But the question is, what's your relationship like with the lost, with unbelievers? Do you feel that your relationship with the lost is giving indication of where you're at in your devotion to Christ and becoming more like Him? The one who loves the lost, the one who came to seek them, find them, help them come to salvation, the one who gave His life for them. Are you becoming more like Him? in your relationship with the lost. So, those are uh, two more relationships that we can look to for measurements of how we're doing in uh, moving toward this vision we have of our lives being changed in a way that helps us grow in our devotion to Christ and becoming more like Him. And I encourage you to take these six relationships we've looked at. Next week, we're just going to wrap up the series, um, and there'll be some pretty important stuff that we're going to do. But for now, this week, I think in preparing for next week, it would be really good if you would take your notes or whatever and uh, just go back through that. How is your relationship with God doing? What does it say about your devotion and your growth? be more like Jesus. How's your relationship with God's Word doing? Is it growing? Is your devotion to Christ showing in your relationship with the Word? Examine your relationship with other believers. How are your relationships going? If somebody observed you relating to other believers, would they conclude, this person is really devoted to Christ? This person is really becoming more like Jesus. I see the way that they're carrying on their relationships with other Christians. Examine your relationships at home, with family, in your marriage, parent-child, children with children. Examine those relationships. Do you see anything in those relationships that would show you're growing in your devotion to Christ? You are becoming more like Him? And then your relationship with the world. 
do the same. Your relationship with unbelievers in this world. What are they showing you about your devotion to Christ and becoming more like Him? Use those six relationships in your life to examine how you're doing. Um, Because whether our church is or becomes um, a group of changed people, transformed lives, and growing in devotion to Christ and becoming like Him, that depends on you. That depends on me individually because that has to be happening in our individual life among enough of us that it begins to identify and describe our church, a group of people whose lives are being transformed as time goes on, becoming more fully devoted followers of Jesus and becoming more like Him. It's my desire. I hope it's yours. We'll wrap it up uh, next week, so make sure you're here. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for uh, Your Word. Thank You for the warnings about becoming friends with this world system around us, falling in love with this system and the things that are part of it. Father, we know You're a jealous God. You love us so much that You don't want anything or anyone taking Your place in our life. Father, You desire The Spirit you put within us desires that we be devoted to you. Father, uh, guide those who take the challenge to examine these relationships in their life. And may they either be encouraged that they are really growing in devotion and Christlikeness, or may you point out things that would cause them to, to reset and get back to where they want to be as your followers. Work in our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and worship with us.